Welcome to Fixing Healthcare. I'm one of your hosts, Jeremy Core, also host of the popular New Books and Medicine podcast and CEO at Executive Podcast Solutions. With me is Dr. Robert Pearl. For 18 years, Robert was the CEO of the Permanente Medical Group, the nation's largest physician group. He is currently a Forbes contributor, a professor at both the Stanford University School of Medicine and Business, and author of the best-selling books, Mistreated, Why We Think We're Getting Good Healthcare and Why We're Usually Wrong, and Uncaring, How the Culture of Medicine Kills Doctors and Patients. All profits go to Doctors Without Borders. If you want information on a broad range of healthcare topics, you can visit his website, robertperlmd.com. Our guests today are Drs. Chris Chen and Gordon Chen. They are CEO and Chief Medical Officer of ChenMed. Founded by their father, Dr. James Chen, ChenMed focuses on providing great medical care to underserved, moderate to low-income seniors with chronic disease. Today, they run 80 centers in 12 states providing prepaid, capitated healthcare to people insured through Medicare Advantage. Welcome, Chris and Gordon Chen. Great to be here, Robbie. So good to be here, Robbie. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. This is season eight of Fixing Healthcare, and it is focused on leadership. And I can't think of any organization in healthcare that has stronger and more authentic leadership than Chen Med. Not only does Chen Med provide medical care to the most needy and sickest of patients, but it is one of the very few primary care companies in the nation that's profitable and not dependent upon investors for growth. And accomplishing that requires skilled and trustworthy leaders. For that reason, I've, I've invited both of you to participate. This is the first time in eight seasons that we've had two guests on at once, but I felt as though there was no choice. It's just not possible. I don't believe to understand Chen Med without including the bond between the two of you and your families. So let me begin with Chris. You're the CEO, which I assume means that you lead much of the negotiations with insurers and you oversee the marketing functions. How do you perceive your role as a leader in a dysfunctional American healthcare world? Well, you know, Robbie, the first thing is, is I have to create the, the why for the organization and get everybody aligned um, you know, to that broader vision. And, in, and our vision is, is simple, right? Um, that we were going to be America's leading uh, primary care you know, provider, and we're going to transform care to the neediest populations. And so getting everybody aligned to that concept of you know, being the leader to transforming care, and then lastly, doing it in the neediest populations is, is something that is really critical. I, I've always thought that if you can get people to row in the same direction, get them passionate about what you're trying to do, um, you're always going to get a better outcome and, and you get the right people too, which then brings me to the second point. Um, you know, winning or making a difference at the end is all about the kind of people that are going to join uh, your vision and your mission. And so one of the things that we've been really, really um, intentional about is trying to find the right people and the best people. Um, sometimes they're within healthcare. Oftentimes there are not. I'll just give you a, a quick example. You know, when we were building a board, um, we could have filled the board with a whole bunch of healthcare people, but then I would have a whole bunch of perspectives from an industry that has ha had declining value um, for decades. So, you know, we brought in uh, one of the founders of the Ritz-Carlton, 
right? Or the founder of the Rich Carlton to really teach us about service. Uh, we didn't want to bring somebody from within healthcare to teach about service. We wanted to bring somebody who was the best in service, period. Um, what else? We looked at companies when we were thinking about scaling. So we went and hired people from highly scalable companies, um, you know, different tech companies, uh, retail companies, service companies. And we brought them here to really teach us how to think about scale. And, um, and, and so what does that mean then for negotiations with insurance companies, going back to your question, or, or the marketing function? You know, trying to figure out how to negotiate in general is not something that, that you know, Gorda or nor I learned in, in school or during our training process. And so, of course, uh, you know, we've really had to leverage uh, and lean on fantastic people that we, that have joined us. So right now, uh, a lot of the you know, health plan negotiations, uh, it, you know, is done by our CFO, who uh, has a history at Cigna and then subsequently Aetna. Um, so that was one option. And then same thing for chief, for marketing. Um, our chief marketing officer is uh, a gentleman that, uh, you know, ran um, marketing for AAA uh, for their largest, uh, you know, division. And and he's just done a fantastic job, won awards, um, was actually ranked um, by a third-party publication as a top 10 chief marketing officer. So really, again, finding the right people, getting them to join, find the right people and the best people, getting them to join us, and then pursuing a aligned vision. That's really the job of the CEO. Gordon, you're the chief medical officer and the one responsible for leadership among the physicians of ChenMed. Uh, your brother just mentioned that a goal Chemet has is to get people to row in the same direction. It's been said that leading doctors resemble herding cats or maybe herding squirrels. How do you believe doctors can best be led by other physicians? Well, first of all, Robbie, I do want to give a shout out to my brother, Chris, whom I've learned the majority of my leadership from. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm very fortunate to to uh, be able to to work and uh, and lead alongside my brother Chris. Uh, you know, physicians uh, oftentimes want to lead; they just don't know how. Um, they they want to make a difference; they just don't know how. They want to grow and develop even after they finish medical school and residency; they just don't know how. And so at ChenMed, what we really try to do is first, we try to attract the best clinicians in primary care who want to grow, who want to learn, who want to make a difference, and finally, who want to transform American healthcare. When we first attract those that want to make changes and want to disrupt, well, then we have a group of physicians and clinicians who are very open to doing things a different way, doing things differently than how they were trained, right? And that openness and vulnerability and self-reflection then allows them to go down that, that journey of becoming a leader. Now, uh, leadership is foreign to a lot of physicians. And if you think about what leadership is, it's really influence nothing more, nothing less. And so this concept, how do we empower our physicians, clinicians to really have greater influence first 
over themselves, right? Through just creating that openness and an environment where it's okay to not have all the answers and it's okay and it's expected to grow and to learn. And next, how do we create an environment where physicians have influence over their patients? And at ChenMed, our whole model is based around our mission to honor seniors with affordable VIP care that delivers better health. And the only way you can achieve better health in your patients is to get them to change their behaviors in a positive way. And that behavior change takes influence. And so our PCPs are exquisitely trained in how to build relationships and earn trust with their patients so that they can drive to better health and better outcomes. So it starts with that influence. And then once you create the environment where you're attracting the right um, clinicians, and then you're giving them an opportunity to flex their influence and leadership muscles, well, then you can really change the world. Is there anything you do differently with the other individuals, the nurses who are on the staff, the nurse practitioners with whom you work, the other type of clinicians in your organization than you do specifically with doctors? Well, we do have nurse practitioners and physicians acting as PCPs, primary care providers. And so we really have that at the core of our model because all of the accountability for the patient health outcomes comes back to who their PCP is. So if you're in a PCP role at ChenMed, it's a very elevated, distinguished role. And we pour into all the training and resources that we can to help them to win with their 400 to 450 patients. Chris, you mentioned that you have great people, which I know you do, but I also know that other organizations also attract tremendously talented individuals. In the very competitive world of medicine, what advice do you have for listeners who want to follow in your footsteps to be able to differentiate your organization from the other ones that start with the same ingredients, great people, but can't perform at your level? Yeah, I mean, once you get the right people and you get the best people and you can get them rowing in the same direction, you have to have everybody working as a team, right? And so this concept of working together as a team, it sounds easy, but it's not, right? And and unfortunately, you know, uh, if, if you have a clinical background or, or you come from, uh, you know, you're, you're a physician, you're actually not typically taught how to work as a team, right? There are many things that I learned during my training, during my schooling, that actually were counter to what good leadership really is. And so sort of deprogramming that mindset and having an open mindset and saying, hey, I, I've got to go learn the way that that people really lead teams and really try to drive to a particular outcome and how to hold people accountable outside of healthcare is really critical. Um, so I, I just just give you an example. And I'm gonna go back to you know one of our board members who was the founder of the Ritz Carlton. The way that you can create that sort of shared vision and that shared accountability and drive towards a particular outcome for something that most people would think is a soft skill. Like most people think that service is a soft skill. 
Well, most people don't know that Ritz Carlton won the Malcolm Baldrige Award twice. That was a you know quality award. And really they're looking at replicability and, and reduction of variability. And 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 there are other winners of, of, of that award were like groups like you know Motorola. What does Motorola have in common with, for example, uh, the Ritz-Carlton? I mean, you think like designing and engineering is very different than um, than you know getting into the service industry. And 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 the answer is actually there's a lot of similarities. And so I would invite folks, which I believe has been a major advantage for us. Do not stay within healthcare to learn how to lead and learn how to find efficiencies. Go outside of healthcare because actually, remember, there's only two industries that have had declining value over the last, let's say, 30 years. But there's a whole bunch of industries that have had increasing value over the last 30 years. Go to those industries, find out their secrets, bring them back home into your environment, into your healthcare transformational environment, and then apply them. I love that advice, Chris. You know, Gordon, you're the head of the clinical side of ChenMed. And as Gordon said, you emphasize teams and you recognize that it's impossible to lead alone. How are you developing the next generation of physician leaders? What's interesting about our journey is um, we've been on this uh, very fast growth rate and growing 30 to 40% each year, doubling almost two to sometimes three years. And what happens when you grow fast is um, you have no choice but to stretch people, right? And most of learning anything whether or not it's becoming, you know, being a leader or, or, um, you know, seeing patients or whatever you, you're learning to do, most of the learning comes from experiences. So if we can create more opportunities for physicians and physician leaders to be stretched and to have that experiential learning, it's very powerful um, because there's nothing like actually driving a car right? You can't learn from the passenger seat. You really need to learn how to drive the car yourself. So um, part of what we do at ChenMed is we we create opportunities for physicians to be stretched, but then we we have a lot of support around them um, with coaching, with mentorship, with uh, leadership programs, um, surrounding them with great business leaders as well. And then that team approach between you know clinical leader and a business leader and appreciating the other's strengths and looking at that relationship um, as an opportunity to win together rather than a confrontational relationship. That's been um, part of, I think, what's made ChenMed different is clinical leaders uh, highly value and appreciate their business leader counterparts and vice versa. Chris, you and Gordon are both very ethical individuals that I know you've inherited from your dad. It's hard to imagine that at times you find you don't find situations where potentially lucrative business opportunities conflict with your personal values. How do you recognize when this is the case and how do you resolve them? Well, first of all, you know, um, the journey that Gordon and I went on is uh, written down in our in our book. It's called The Calling. And um, it's a really interesting journey that we went on from 
extreme poverty, growing up together uh, through our medical training, and then now to being able to build Chen Med. Um, and it's loaded with, you know, tons of secrets and pearls on um, how we thought about building the business. But, you know, in general, in that book, the theme is you have to have something that is greater than the business. And that's your purpose, right? And for us, uh, faith is that is that purpose. Right? We're extremely grounded on what we're here on earth to do. And so if you're grounded on what your job is to do here on earth, you're then going to be grounded on what your purpose and your work will be. And then that will be what drives you. And then if you can then bring in the right people that can reinforce that purpose and achieve excellence together, then when those difficult questions come up and you're making those trade-offs, you're much more likely to make the right trade-offs that are in accordance with your original purpose and just think laser focused. Um, at the beginning of every single meeting, we recite the Chen Med way. And the Chen Med way it reinforces and, and forces us to sort of repeat our vision, our mission, our core model, and our values. Drift is one of the scariest things, right? Organizational drift, personal drift. People don't wake up and, you know, you know, find themselves in a bad position usually, right? Usually you, you sort of drift. And so anything you can do to sort of prevent that drift, that's important. So Gordon, in The Calling, which is a great book that I've read and really enjoyed and learned from and Chris just talked about, uh, both you and your brother describe how important your families are to you. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that your wife was your medical school girlfriend, and I believe that she has the title of chief clinical officer. And it's hard to imagine that differences of opinion don't arise at work between the two of you. How do you resolve them? And as a leader, how do you avoid them spilling over into your personal lives? <laughs> well, great question, Robbie. And it even gets more complicated than being married to your chief clinical officer. Um, Chris and I live next door to each other. And um, and on the other side of you know my house, I have Chris on one side with his wife, Stephanie, and I have my parents on the other side, right? And we're all involved in the business. We all vacation together. We all um, live together, clearly, right? And um, what we found when conflict arises and it's sure to arise and not only is it sure to arise it's it's good thing it's a good thing to have conflict as long as you have the right grounding and a, a common purpose and a common vision but sometimes if conflict arises and and there's um there there's some negativity around there uh, what chris had mentioned um our common faith our common purpose that brings us all together and you know, our faith really compels us to question our motives frequently. And um, it, it compels us to, to really humble ourselves frequently, right? Whenever egos get out of control or, you know, there, there, there's that tension. And then um, humbling ourselves and then being grounded in a, in a common purpose, common faith helps us to reconcile very quickly. And so it's not the conflict that's an issue. It's actually a strength of ours. Um, but the conflict needs to be surrounded 
with ways to have very frequent and easy reconciliation. So whether or not um, there's there's conflict or business discussion that gets heated with, with anyone in our family, Jessica and I, or you know Chris and I, or or with our parents, we, we've often found that the conflict generates some of the most richest discoveries in terms of finding the right answer. And our goal is not to be right. Our goal is to really find the right answer that helps us to get closer to our vision and to our mission. The question that you asked around, you know, finding that right um, balance between personal life and work, certainly we we have not had that figured out. <laughs> We're learning how to do that. But I do think that there are general concepts that we have where um, we can create the boundaries intentionally to say, hey, let's not talk about work, you know, this day or, or this weekend or, or this meal. And then let's just enjoy being together as a family. And that's been a very effective strategy uh, for us. But uh, we certainly still are learning. I really like what Robbie asked as far as working with your family, how you value family, how you deal with the conflict, et cetera. Uh, one of the biggest rules in business is that leadership of a company working alongside family or a spouse or a best friend is an HR nightmare and often doesn't end well and ruins relationships and can have a negative impact on your business. I know personally, I refuse to hire family or close friends. What makes your family one of the rare exceptions to that rule? And uh, when you were starting out, were investors ever concerned about how much family you do have working together in leadership roles? I'd love to hear more about that and what makes your family special and how your family culture, uh, for lack of a better word, influences uh, work culture at ChenMed. You know, first of all, early on, we didn't have investors. So um, when we needed money to go build that first clinic, I had to go get $2 million from my mom. So, <laughs> so you know, just to, yeah, I mean, think about how real that is, right? Yeah. You know, hey, can I, uh, can I have some money to go build a clinic? But uh, I, I joke. But in reality, it, again, and I want to re reiterate what Gordon said before, there's going to be conflict. The key is that conflict has to be constructive. And the beauty of a family is you know the intentions of the people that you're having conflict with. You know, very often here at Chen Med, we have people that have come from other industries and some of them have come from corporate America. And I hear them say things like, you know, we fight in corporate America, but I'm always waiting for someone to st stab me in the back, right? There's all this politicking and I'm going to stab them back. You know what's cool about Chen Med? And it starts with our family. We're going to have conflict, but everybody is, everybody like genuinely has the right intentions and everybody genuinely cares about each other. You know, when we talk about our values of love, accountability, and passion, people think, oh, you must love your patients. We do. But actually, love, accountability, and passion is really about what do we, how do we take care of each other? How do we develop each other? How do, we, how do we handle challenges together? The accountability is how can we be accountable to each other? Are we going to deliver for each other what we said we were going to deliver? And passion, that is a common thread that brings us together to go and pursue this vision together. And if we can model that as a family, then the rest of the company takes on that ethos. And that's one of the secrets of our success at ChenMed is that in our culture, we have that embedded into the organization where now, you know, it's happening even if we don't even have to say it. It's just part of who we are. That's a great answer. 
Uh, Chris, you wrote a powerful article in Newsweek, I believe it was, about your personal battle with COVID-19. Can you tell listeners about it and how it has impacted and shifted your view of leadership? You know, there's talking about something and then experiencing it, right? Gordon just mentioned that before. Driving the car is very different than watching it going around the track. Let me give you a little background. Uh, it was early on in COVID, around June. We were uh, working remotely. Uh, during that time, I had an opportunity to really train a lot. Uh, I'm a triathlete. And um, I went home to my assistant and said, hey, you won't believe this. COVID has been incredible for my fitness. I'm back in race shape, in, in elite race shape. Of course, uh, haughtiness before the fall. And uh, that night I came down with 103 fevers. A week later, I was in the ICU by myself. And essentially, you're in quarantine. Uh, your doctors call you on the phone in the room. Your, your nurse is double-gowned. You can't see their face. You can only see their eyes fully, uh, you know, covered with PPE. And you're essentially, uh, I'm watching my numbers, and you're just dying alone. And so laying there, watching yourself, you know, waste away, you know, looking at your own vitals and numbers and realizing, unfortunately, I know where this is headed. <laughs> and then I'm looking at my med sheet. Um, you know, there's a med sheet that tells you what what medications you're on. And all my med sheet was like vitamin C and zinc. And I thought to myself, shoot, if you're in the intensive care unit and you're like key, you know, your key drugs that you're on are vitamin C and zinc, you're really in a bad place. And, and so you're, you're just, I'm just laying there. And here's what I came up with. Uh, first of all, uh, when faced with um, the potential of death, I had pneumonia in all five lobes of my lungs. You, you start to ask very hard questions. First of all, you know, do I really believe from a faith perspective what I've been saying that I believe? That um, was a resounding yes. Number two, what's really important? And then number three, I got to uh, experience healthcare from the other side. So let me walk you through number two really quickly. I had this overwhelming sort of reminding love of my family when I was laying there in that uh, ICU bed. Um, And so when you ask questions about how is it to work with your family? Is there conflict? Absolutely. But boy, oh boy, do I love my family. (laughs) And I was reminded of that very clearly. I remember getting out of the hospital and just holding my wife and my oldest son who came and got me from the back loading dock uh, a week later uh, and just holding them. And, you know, I'm not an emotional guy, but I was very emotional um, that I was able to see them again. And then the, the third thing is, of course, uh, experiencing healthcare from the other side. I got an opportunity to see how uncoordinated it was. Um, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Um, my brother had to be my Chen Med PCP and coordinate all my care and to be my advocate and buy for me. And, and I actually credit him for saving my life because um, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have gotten that rendezvous that actually helped me turn the corner um, on day five. And so, you know, uh, it, coming out of the, uh, of the hospital, I was, you know, sort of reinvigorated that we need to bring the human side and the love side of healthcare back into healthcare. We needed to continue to reinforce this concept of coordination and, and having people, the right hand, knowing what the left hand is doing. Uh, and number three, the last but not least, nobody should have to experience what it is to be in an intensive care unit. 
And so uh, we just continued this incredible mission to go into some of the most underserved communities and say, what can we do to move upstream so our patients who have preventable reasons for admissions don't get admitted and even worse, end up in the intensive care unit because we know how difficult it is. And that's what I learned. I know Chen Med focuses on primary care for seniors. And uh, one of the most tragic things I've seen in my life is awful end of life care for elderly family members and elderly uh, family members of friends, people who have been given needless rounds of chemo causing pain or expensive treatments with no chance of success when transitioning to hospice and dying comfortably is probably what's in the patient's best interest. This is such a difficult time for both patients and their family members, given the importance of the relationship and trust a patient has with their primary care provider. Um, how does ChenMed work with their patients as they are in their end-of-life journey? And what is your philosophy around how to handle this care? Jeremy, great question. What happens in healthcare typically is there is not a strong trusting relationship between doctors and patients simply because there's not a lot of interaction. And so by the time you, you get to the point where you're facing end-of-life, you don't know the patients that well. You don't know what their goals are. You don't know who their family members are. You don't know um, all of the different components that help them to make their decisions on how they want their end of life to be. In our model, it's different. Our model creates the opportunity each month, at least, to connect with a patient. And that's not a clinical visit. That is a visit to build a relationship, to earn trust, to get to know their goals, to get to know their family members. And then when that relation develops to the uh, relationship develops to the point where, where, where you really, you have that bond, then if a patient is faced with an end of life situation, well, the PCP is very well equipped to advocate for that patient. They already know the family members, they can bring them involved. And so basically it's getting more proactive and entering into that you know, difficult situation with eyes wide open, with clear expectations of what the wishes of the patient are. And that couldn't be more important. So in ChenMed, it's just more intentional investment in relationship, which ends up revealing what the goals of care are. Um, versus outside of Chen Med, just just uh, not as much of an opportunity to get to that level of depth between doctor and patient. Gordon, let's get back to something that both you and Chris have talked about, the importance of finding the right people to join Chen Med. If you could design medical school and residency education to better prepare doctors for a career in healthcare, what would you change? That's a great question, Robbie. Um, I often think about what we can do in medical school and residency to help prepare doctors for the future of healthcare. Um, there's so much knowledge that they need to uh, acquire and attain. And my hope would be that we would figure out a way to decrease the, the burden of just um, memorizing facts and knowledge and um, give them more tools that help them to learn how to um, not only work as a team, but to be a, a vulnerable member of that team, meaning being open to being wrong, to not having 
all the right answers. You see what happens in medical school and residency, students and young doctors oftentimes need to fake like they know more than they do because their grades depend upon it. Um, and they are fighting for position uh, with other students or whatnot to get to the top of the class or that they have more options. And so I don't know exactly um, how we would change that, uh, but certainly, you know, we, we need to change the priorities and uh, teach doctors how to flex their EQ muscles more um, throughout medical school and residency and learn how to teach doctors how to connect with patients in a way that helps them to change behavior. So gearing more around driving towards a behavior change result in a patient rather than driving towards just transferring knowledge to a patient is one of the things I'd like to see in medical education. You know, Robbie, I'd love to just add on to Gordon as well. You know, we have a model in this country that rewards and pays more for reactive care, right? The sicker you are, the more that we're going to pay for that. And so basically doctors are, are, are taught how to react to patients who are really, really sick. They basically are really good at rescuing people from dying. And you know, we, we've got to figure out a way to move uh, medical education to being more proactive, move from reactive to proactive. And, and I don't see a world that, you know, where that can happen. If you think about it, who's, who's training doctors? Hospitals are training doctors, right? Your professors, they're all attendings in the hospital, right? And the entire revenue model there in these systems is designed about being reactive. So as soon as we can figure out a way to fix the incentives, we can start moving our care model and our innovation and our thought and our teaching more towards, hey, how in the world are we going to prevent bad things from happening? Then waiting for really bad things from happening and then figuring out you know, how to build our business model around that. So I think that is a critical, critical step. Let me just bring this point home. I graduated, um, you know, I trained in cardiology, uh, trained at some of the best places in, in, in the country, had a, you know, a large number of board certifications. My very first patient was a heart failure patient. You would think that a well-trained cardiac doctor should be able to prevent heart failure admissions. And my very first patient at Chen Med got readmitted and ultimately died. And then I began to think, you know what? I actually really don't know how to prevent heart failure admissions. But the weird thing is, if you go talk to the majority of cardiologists um, in America today, you say, hey, what percent of heart failure admissions do you believe are preventable? That number is probably over 80 to 9%. So the fact that we all believe that heart failure admissions are preventable, and yet we don't know how to prevent them effectively, that is a gap. And so anything that we can do to move medical uh, education in that direction which again is highly complex, is going to ultimately benefit the healthcare system. Chen Med, for listeners, is a fully capitated payment model, by which I mean that you and uh, Gordon and the other leaders of Chen Med get a specific number of dollars to take care of a very sick population of patients. And the better job you can do at preventing disease rather than having patients need, as you say, resuscitation at the end, the better job you can do of managing chronic disease and avoiding complications, the better it is for the patient and for your organization. I think that's a vital step that you and uh, Gordon have been able to accomplish by focusing on this model 
that adequately gives you the resources, but all appropriate for the age of the patients, the number of people and the severity of disease, and then puts you at risk. And it's a risk that you've been willing to take because of your both your faith and your belief in the ability of your physicians and other clinicians to be able to um, be successful in that model. And again, I think you've proven it. And I think that when the day comes that capitation is the model for this nation, and I believe it will come, uh, we could talk about that on another podcast, uh, that uh, people will be able to follow into your footsteps to be able to do the kinds of things you are saying. And then hopefully medical schools will recognize the necessity for educating people in that direction. But as you point out, Unfortunately, I think it's a long road ahead. But let me ask you, um, ShedMed has been incredibly successful, Chris, and you're in the process of opening, I think, hundreds of new sites over the next few years. In addition to finding the best clinicians as a leader, when you're wanting and planning to enter into, into a new community, how do you approach the challenge at the community level to maximize the probability of success? So, you know, Robert, when you mean the community level, do you mean the existing healthcare ecosystem or do you mean the, uh, you know, potential customers or, or patients? A new geography. You decide you want to go to a community where ChenMed isn't yet there. Obviously, you want to find the best clinicians, you want to have leaders, but how do you interact with the community, whether it's the insurers, whether it's the businesses, whether it's the population? How do you approach the community at large about the fact that ChenMed is about to come? So the first thing that we bring up is we're here to help. I mean, we just let everybody know that we're here to help. There is a need in the communities that, that we are serving. We are really, really good at finding where there are the some of the worst outcomes are and some of the most challenging environments. And we go straight into those neighborhoods. And so that's what we do. And then when we arrive there, first of all, we got to get over this concept of like, why would anybody build a medical center in a neighborhood like this? Right. And so as soon as we can get, uh, you know, uh, you know, help to answer that question, uh, the, the answer to that question is we're here to help. We understand that there's massive disparities in healthcare outcomes that in that city that we go to, whatever city it is, there's going to be a 20 to 30 year life expectancy difference between the zip code that we go into and the zip code in the wealthiest uh, area of that same town. And so we're there to sort of improve the outcomes of those folks who have very poor outcomes. Once we do that, it's, you know, it's not that difficult to find great staff um, that want to fill our centers. Today, about 70% of our workforce are women of color. They're actually from those neighborhoods, and they actually want to make a difference in the outcomes of the, of the people that live in their neighborhoods. So they join us, uh, and we don't have any difficulty recruiting them. Then we go out and we find amazing clinicians. And these clinicians, we give them a message. We say, hey, listen, have you ever wanted to practice medicine the way you wanted to, but you never were able to? And, and I never have to explain what that means. And, uh, and they go, absolutely. And, they, and are you looking for a mission? And are you looking for an environment where physicians can lead and we're going to develop you and you're going to get rewarded for um, great outcomes, not rewarded for volume. And so, of course, that's not a very difficult sell as well. Then we go to the insurers. Now, <laughs> the insurers, that's interesting. We actually, uh, when we go into a new market, we tell the insurers, there are seven national insurers. There are multiple local and regional insurers. But when we first start, we're only going to be able to take four. Usually, we can't take that many. Who's it going to be? <laughs> it's 
So um, because we have such a long running track record of success with such great partners. Um, but unfortunately, we can't take them all in the market. And so, um, and so, uh, you know, having them sort of, you know, and deciding who you're going to partner with, it is a hard job to decide who you take, but it's not a hard job to make sure that you have insurers that want to work with you. And then last but not least, it's the, uh, you know, the, the existing ecosystem, the hospital system, if you will. Uh, you know, we immediately try to identify uh, health systems um, that want to work with us and that want to coordinate the care that want that are excited about us, for example, lowering catastrophic you know, hospital admissions and, uh, and, 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 and specialists as well. And so that creates sort of the ecosystem that we practice in. And what we'll find, Robbie, is that we have actually pretty low variability between markets um, when we took that approach. If you start with the right neighborhoods and the right demography and the right standardized model, you actually get very little variance. And that's the reason why that we've been able to predictably reduce hospitalization rates by, you know, uh, 35 to 45, in some cases, 50%, reducing ER visits by about 50%. We actually even double cancer survival rates at six months, pretty predictably. So we're excited about that. And we're going to continue on this journey. Sounds amazing. Gordon, as a leader, Chris just talked about the way that you recruit doctors from the community but I'm also sure nationally, they're all smart, they're all well-trained. But of course, I can tell you from my own experience that not all of them will work out. What do you look for when you interview them? And what are the red flags that tell you not to hire this individual despite great grades and excellent scores? So Robbie, we look for a few key qualities and we actually, we, we describe it the seven key components of a Chen Med physician. And uh, I'll, I won't go through all seven, but the, the key ones I would say are the humble healer approach, meaning do they think they have medicine all figured out or are they learning and are they open to discovering new ways to practice? See, the ones that come in and say, I know how to practice, I know exactly what to do, let me teach you just don't typically have the mindset of the the humble healer that we want and so that's key um that humble healer mindset the the second is the passionate preventer um someone who is not wanting to, to just react to issues but wanting to get ahead of them and so that that that's um just critical that that shift in mindset and chris had talked about it before um going from reactive to proactive there's this relationship component, which is critical, and we call it frequent follower. And so um, what we mean by that is we want our PCPs to have very regular and frequent connections with their patients. So they're earning their trust, they're developing relationships with them. And so when they're making changes, they're making very specific changes, maybe one change at a time, rather than three or four changes to confuse a patient. And so there's a there's a frequency that leads to success in our model. And I would say overall, the the PCP or the physician that has this this mission driven passion that if one of their patients are in trouble, they stand up for them and they say, not on my watch. And if we find those physicians that are willing to say, not on my watch, 
are one of my patients going to get hospitalized if I can do something about it? Then we know we have the right physician. Let me follow up, Gordon, with uh, the inverse question. If two twins both become doctors and they're identical in every way the day they finish medical training and one comes to Chen Med and the other takes a job in the community, how different and what ways will they predict they will be a decade later? <laughs> they, they couldn't be more different uh, because what happens, you know, it's not where you start, it's your trajectory and it's who's pouring into you um, and your experiences that determine 10 years from now what happens. So for example, if the twin in the community goes and just becomes an RVU-based doctor, and they're just generating transactions for the sake of generating transactions, the, the actual amount of learning and personal development is, is really uh, quite small. Uh, whereas the, the Chen Med physician that comes and gets poured into, and essentially it would be like the difference between someone going into a cardiology fellowship program or so, and someone not, right? After three years, you're you're a different physician. You're you're a cardiologist. So, uh, at ChenMed, after one or two years, that PCP is a different person. They are a leader in transformative care. They've learned how to influence their patients to better outcomes. They've learned how to lead themselves better, and they've learned how to lead others better. And so, I, I would say. Um, experiences matter. And, you know, it, it could be similar. Imagine one twin goes to medical school and one twin goes to law school. They're going to come out with very different skill sets at the end of that time period. ChenMed has revolutionized healthcare delivery in America and has had to have had a massive impact on countless patients' lives. I'm curious if each of you have a favorite success story to share uh, since you started ChenMed that has been particularly rewarding to you personally, that really makes you say, wow, I really am making a difference. I'm trying to figure out where to start. Um, I have a patient named Mr. F. Um, he came to me in stage four heart failure. And um, as you all know, that yields a you know 50% survival rate at six months. And when I met him, uh, he was uh, you know a sort of you know concerned and actually, but also accepting that he was going to die. After I took care of him, I, I started seeing him twice a week, then eventually every week. And ultimately, his stage of heart failure went from stage four to stage three, then stage two. And he actually ended up living over a decade more. And during that entire time, he didn't get readmitted, not even once. And we kept building new milestones for him. Like, hey, what do you want to live for? Um, I want to make it to my granddaughter's uh, you know, wedding, or I wanted to make it to this person's graduation. And at one point, we stopped you know, looking for milestones because he wasn't getting readmitted. And, and that story is very frequent. What we discovered there is that patient, Mr. F, didn't have somebody who was a partner to them, who was in the trenches with them to help to substantially improve their health. And so this became very apparent to Gordon and I. He's got dozens, if not hundreds of those stories personally. And so we said, how can we create a company in which this experience that we are having, that I'm having now, is being replicated at scale 
in the thousands, in the tens of thousands, and then now in the hundreds of thousands. And that's what we sought out to do. Yeah, what one patient comes to mind, and this was a father of one of my uh, co-residents who I trained with, and he sent his dad over to me, and he was on a heart transplant list for for just very severe um, angina, just even at rest. And he was on all these medications. He had multiple heart surgeries. And after getting to know this patient, you know, really well, started making some changes and being really aggressive with what we could change. And we certainly could change his diet. And so we transitioned him to a whole food plant-based diet. And it it was so interesting to be able to just peel off medications after medications um, to watch his increase in function uh, and to, to get to really cheer for someone as they literally were waiting for a heart transplant to being able to travel again and cutting their medications in half. And that was, that was so rewarding. And what Chris was talking about is how do we scale these interactions with and, and these these beautiful relationships and connections between a doctor and a patient. And that's really what we're trying to do. And so if we select the right doctors that want to do this and you know build the relationship and, and, and want to drive towards a better health outcome. And then we create the multiple opportunities for, for these amazing PCPs and clinicians to get together with the neediest patients, well then beautiful things happen. And so really what we think of our job is is we're really matchmakers. We take really amazing doctors and pour into them so they understand how to lead themselves and lead others to better health. And we connect them with the neediest patients in America. And when that happens, then beautiful things occur and you can transform communities and you can transform healthcare. Chris, let me go back to the calling and ask you what are the most important lessons you and Gordon have learned from your mom and dad? First and foremost, again, our faith and our purpose, our devotion to each other, and then resilience. That's what the story is about. But I would have also just, if I could get a little bit more pragmatic here, you, you know, when you ask a question like that, what you're asking is, you know, Chris, what ultimately led to ChemMed success? Well, what, why is it that you have the best outcomes at scale across such a large geography. And, and, and I want to add on to some of the things that Gordon brought up, you know, Gordon already brought up one of the keys to true scalability and replication of the model is the clinical leadership and and our ability to bring in some of the best doctors, uh, sort of deprogram them from fee-for-service and then uh, refocus them on delivering great outcomes and, and developing themselves as leaders and as physicians. But the other piece is our tech. We have a complete top to bottom tech stack that includes our own EMR, our own analytics engine, our own sort of uh, entire, you know, self-created, you know, uh, version of our EDW and that allows us to essentially create workflows that the doctors give us be able to, you know, insert the right analytics and the right information at the right time and then be able to track very closely for outcomes and give that feedback mechanism very, very rapidly. And so if you think about what the Chamed model is, it's you open a medical center in, in a very underserved neighborhood, check. Number two, you bring in incredible people and you train them really, really well, check. 
And then what you do is you give them incredible technology and tools um, that helps to facilitate the workload based on our persona-based technology systems. And, and then you get a great outcome. You know, today we have just, we have thousands of employees and we have a, a, a ton of incredible doctors, many of which are, you know, physician leaders, but we can't forget the three to 400, you know, software developers and technology folks that are partnered with our physicians and are all rowing in the same direction to try to transform, you know, care in America today. So let me give each of you the chance to offer any last thoughts on lessons for future leaders in healthcare. What, what do you want them to know? What do you think they need to understand? Why don't you go first, Chris? You know, I, I've asked other people this question too. Um, when I was learning how to be a CEO, one of the key points of advice was you need to have courage, right? There, there are things that you know, you know you need to do and there are things that you should be doing um, and there are things that you could be doing. Go and do them, okay? And, and unfortunately, physicians can be, you know, risk averse, right? They're always worrying about like, how do I make sure people don't die, <laughs> right? But when you're trying to, you know, disrupt and build a business, you're going to have to take some risks. And those risks, if they're well thought out and, and, and you have the right people on board, a lot of the times those risks are going to work out beautifully. Why? Number one, if you're successful, it worked. Number two, it wasn't successful. Well, you learned something really quickly and the, 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 the number of bad decisions you have remaining has just decreased by one. So my advice is go for it. Gordon, any thoughts? And I would just add to that, I think having the right culture and the right focus on what type of culture you're building is critical. And at ChenMed, we focus on uh, results and relationships and investing in both because, you know, just having relationships without results is not enough and vice versa. And so people want the right culture where you're working well together and you're winning. I, I think that's um, really important to drive both. And we've, you know, gotten tremendous recognition for, for our intentionality with investing in culture. Um, and then our individual investment in each team member that comes on, I think is just been really critical. And we are an organization that wants each PCP, clinician, team member to have fulfilling purpose and personal opportunity. And if we can create an environment where they have both, it's not a trade-off. They can have the fulfilling purpose and they can have the personal opportunity, whether or not it's getting developed or whether or not it's personal opportunity in other ways and, and growing and getting promoted. Well, then you have you, you have a winning combination. The two of you are an inspiration to all leaders in healthcare, and I believe that ChenMed's success is a tribute to your values, your dedication, and your approach. Thanks for being on Fixing Healthcare today. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Robbie. Robbie, what do you think about what Chris and Gordon said? Jeremy, I find it inspirational to listen to Chris and Gordon and hear their commitment to providing the best medical care to socioeconomically challenged patients with multiple medical problems who currently are underserved. Their model of seeing their patients at least once a month and focusing on keeping people healthy is one that would benefit our nation if broadly adopted. ChenMed's success demonstrates that a capitated, clinician-driven model can work both for those who receive care and those who provide it. Leadership 
That's the secret sauce that drives performance and creates success. And purpose serves as its strongest foundation. All healthcare leaders can learn much from Chris and Gordon's approach. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll tell your friends and colleagues about it. Please follow Fixing Healthcare on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. Visit our website at fixinghealthcarepodcast.com and on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Fixing HC Podcast. Thank you for listening to Fixing Healthcare's Breaking the Rules with Dr. Robert Pearl and Jeremy Core. Have a great day.